Welcome to our study on exploring end time events. This week we are going to be looking at prophecy through Jewish history. Now last week we saw some of the end time events on the prophetic timeline that we are going to be studying over the course of this study. And we saw how there are some different views as to when these events will take place. Now, I want to make sure that as we study what these end time events are, that we don't get caught up in the events themselves or in the different views of events, but that we keep our mind on God and we see how His ultimate plan will be fulfilled in the end times. Now, ladies, it is only as we see them through the eyes of God's ultimate plan will our lives be changed forever. And that is what impacted my life so much, was to see how, from the very beginning of time to until the end of time, that God's ultimate plan is in His control. And He will fulfill it accordingly. Now there is nothing that is going to happen to thwart God's plan. He will fulfill His promise to Abraham, as we will see throughout this study. Now in order to fully understand the meaning of the end time events, we need to start at the beginning, right? So, have you ever tried to read a book backwards from the end to the beginning? Well, nothing really makes sense, right? Until you get the whole picture. Now, you may know what the outcome is, but you really don't know what happened in between to make that outcome come to be. So, the same principle applies here. If we go straight to the end, then we don't know what the full meaning of those end time events mean. Therefore, missing many, many blessings that will come from learning God's ultimate plan and His purpose for our lives. So today, our journey through Bible prophecy begins where we left off last week, and that is with the birth of the Jewish nation. Ladies, last week we saw how Satan tried to thwart God's plan by deceiving and drawing those away from God. He tried to kill the Messiah and prevent him from being born. And now we will see him trying to annihilate the Jewish people, God's chosen people. The Jewish people have suffered throughout history because of who they are and because of their own disobedience. We see throughout history how the Jewish people have been targeted persecuted and looked upon as second class people. It says in the book of Exodus, let's turn over to Exodus chapter 1 and look at verse 22. It says, So Pharaoh commanded all of his people saying, Every son who is born who shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive. Ladies, this is the first account of trying to control the Jewish population where Pharaoh became worried because the Jewish people were growing in number and he felt threatened and they would probably he was thinking they might join up with the enemy and fight against him so he ordered all the Jewish Hebrew firstborn sons to be killed well now you remember Moses was born at this time, but God intervened and his life was spared because later he would be leading Israel out of Egyptian captivity. Well, God also used Moses 
to give them the law. But as we see throughout Scripture, Israel did not obey God's law, did they? Nor did they follow God consistently. They deliberately chose to turn away from God. As we see in, for example, Exodus chapter 16, verse 8, where it says, Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And then turn over to chapter 32 of Exodus. And let's look at verse 1. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Well, ladies, because of their lack of faith, instead of having faith in the one true God to pull them through, they said, Make us gods so that they can go before us. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's turn over to verses 1 through 14. And you see here that Moses is challenging the Jews to make a decision for God. It was time for them to rededicate their lives with God. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command to you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above the nations and the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now remember, up to this point, the Israelites had turned away from God and wanted to do their own thing. And Moses, well, he was about to die and go to be with the Lord. So he was desperately wanting the Jews to repent and get right with God. So over and over again, we see the Jewish people being persecuted and their disobedience to follow God. Well, Moses clearly tells them in Deuteronomy 28, 3-14, of all the blessings that they would receive if they just repent and turn back to God. Now, I can't go into all the blessings and all the history of Israel, or this class would be really long, but we're going to touch on a few. Ladies, when you look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 to 68, we see what would happen if the Israelites continued to disobey. Let's look at verse 15. It says, But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Wow. Strong, huh? Disobedience, ladies, is an abomination detestable to God. Disobedience shows the utmost contempt and disrespect for God. And for this reason, disobedience 
will be judged and cursed by God. Well, the descendants of this generation that Moses was speaking to, well, they turned from serving God. And the very experiences so graphically described in Moses' warnings are inscribed on the record of history. In this sweeping prophetic revelation of Israel's future, God promised. He promised to bless them if they obey the law, but to curse them if they did not. Now, to some extent, this chapter charts the course of Israel's history from here on. The closing verses of Deuteronomy describe the worldwide dispersion of the children of Israel. Let's look over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and look at verses 64 and 65. It says, Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Ladies, it shows that the Israelites would suffer the curse of being uprooted and scattered all over the world among the nations. Note how literally this has been fulfilled in the persecution of the Jews down through the centuries, all because of their continued disobedience. They are refusing to acknowledge, fear, and reverence the Lord. Moses declared that the result would be catastrophic. And we see this throughout history. Ladies, the Jews were dispersed, as Scripture says, to the four corners of the earth, as we see in history. And this is called the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews outside of Israel. We see between 1200 and 1900 that the Jews were expelled out of England, out of Germany, out of Portugal, and Italy. They simply did not want the Jews there any longer. But Poland, when they heard of the expulsions, they invited the Jews and told them that they would be welcome there. Well, this was encouraging to the Jews, and many migrated to Poland. I have a, a short clip that I'd like you to watch on the diaspora. The seed for Israel's rebirth had been sown some months earlier, when, on November 29, 1947, the United Nations voted to partition what was then known as Palestine into two states, one for Jews, and the other for Arabs. While Arabs quickly rejected the proposal, the Jews embraced it, believing that half a pie was better than none at all. On the strength of the UN mandate, Ben-Gurion seized the initiative, and on May 14, 1948, Israel was born, or more precisely, reborn after nearly 2,000 years of exile, which began when the armies of Rome sacked Jerusalem in AD 70. In their capture of Jerusalem, Roman legionnaires showed little mercy to the Jews. Thousands were slaughtered in the streets of the holy city, while survivors were forced into slavery, 
or if they managed to escape into exile. Jewish historians refer to this tragedy as the diaspora or dispersion, a historic turning point which explains why Jews whose genetic roots are in Israel are found in virtually every nation under the sun. So here we have the Jews are now dispersed to the four corners of the world. And now in Deuteronomy 28, let's look at verses 62 and 63. It says, You shall be left few in number, whereas you were as the stars of heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And it shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land which you go to possess. So here we see that the Jewish people not only suffered the diaspora, the dispersion of the Jews outside of Israel, but now they will suffer the curse of being almost annihilated, exterminated, and reduced to the very small population. If they refused to obey the Lord, they refused to fear and reverence His holy name, they would suffer the most horrible curses imaginable. Ladies, just as the Lord had increased their number, He would also decrease their population. We see this taking place in Esther, you remember in our study of the book of Esther, when you turn over to chapter 3, verse 13, it talks about where Prime Minister Haman had plotted to annihilate the Jewish people. But remember, God rose up Esther to be the queen of Persia, and she was placed in a position to prevent this annihilation. It says in chapter 3, verse 13, And the letters were sent by couriers, into all the king's providence to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 20th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their possessions. This plot was not fulfilled because God intervened. In 1492, there was the Spanish Inquisition where a Catholic monarchy made a decree that the Jews had to convert to their faith or leave. And those who did not leave or convert were tortured and killed. Oh, many Jews lost their lives in the Spanish Inquisition. In 1648, a Ukrainian officer named Bogdan Menensky was one of the biggest anti-Semitics in human history. He was on par with Hitler. He led an uprising from the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. His aim was genocide. Now the historians differ on the number of Jews that his forces and he actually murdered. It's estimated that they were around 100,000 to 500,000. Ladies, he murdered them in the most horrendous ways that I don't even want to repeat it. You remember the Jews migrated to Poland 
when they were expelled from the other countries. So there were a lot of Jews in Poland that he murdered. It seems like no matter where the Jews go, they are continually persecuted, aren't they? Well, to this day, Meninsky is considered a hero in the Ukraine where there is a big statue in the square erected in his honor as you see a picture of him on the screen. Well, and then we go to 1939 to 1945. And we all know about the extermination of the Jews in the Holocaust, right? With Hitler in World War II, where six million Jews lost their lives and were persecuted and tortured. My husband and I visited the Holocaust Memorial, Yad Vashem, in Israel. And we saw pictures of many persecuted Jews. We saw children's shoes and things that belonged to the Jewish people. It was devastating and very hard to look at. We have many faces now in our minds that we connect to the Holocaust. I'd like you to watch this touching video of one of the Holocaust survivors. Her name is Leah DeLong. Please watch. Hitler, by amplifying Germany's latent xenophobia, was able to cause a war which resulted in the deaths of over 6 million Jews and 15 million Russians. And he did it in the name of white Aryan Christianity. Even children were not spared from this horrific reality. Risking their own lives and the lives of their families, some good people did try to help the Jews by hiding them and even taking their children as their own. Leah DeLang was one such child. And those people tried to do whatever they could. They couldn't do very much. They could take one Jewish child and try to save her or him. That's what happened to me. We stayed in our home until the very last day. The next day, anyone who saw a Jew was, had the obligation to kill him. One day before we had to leave for the concentration camps, my father had arranged that with friends of his with whom he had been in the Dutch army. We were Dutch, Dutch Jews. My father was, had been a soldier in the Dutch army. And friends of his, you know, army buddies, they came to take away his little daughters. Me, I was three years old and I had a baby sister. And people came to take me, take the baby. And that was in 43. But I knew that this was not real. They were not real in my family. But I had forgotten. I did not know anymore. I did not know who my family was, everything that had happened. Because I had been told so often that I should forget. 
I should forget about all of that now. I should stop talking about it. It was very dangerous to remember, and it was even more dangerous to talk about it. I should forget. That's what they told me. I had tried to cooperate, and I had tried to forget. And now, the war was over. That's how it looked. We had to stay inside our home. We could not go outside. And you could very clearly see that the German soldiers had lost the war. Somewhere I still knew that they had made everyone I loved cry. Everyone had always been crying all around me. And it was because of those horrible soldiers. And they were marching now. They were defeated. And it made me very happy. And then all of a sudden, I saw a couple, a man and a woman on bikes. There was a curfew. How could they be outside? That was very dangerous. Someone could shoot them. And they, they didn't seem to care. They were cycling through the street all alone. And I was standing in front of this big bay window looking at them and they looked at me. And when they looked at me, it shocked them. The woman fell from her bike and man also dismounted from his bike and he helped the woman to, to, to get up again. And it gave me a horrible feeling of a, a drama. A drama was coming near me. And I didn't want any more dramas, not ever again. So I fled from this room, and I fled to the only place which I, where I could lock the door, and that was the closet, that was the bathroom. People knocked on my door and wanted me to come out. And I could hear voices and I could hear screams and I decided I would never come out. But in the end, of course, I had to open the door and I came out. And there was this man and there was this woman. And the woman looked at me and she came nearer to me. And she fell on her knees. And she put her hands on my head. And she spoke words that I saw that I had forgotten. But I had not really forgotten them. Because when she spoke, the, I understood it again. I, I understood it immediately. She said, with her hands on my head, May God make you like Sarah, like Rebecca, like Rachel and Leah, which are Israel's mothers, arch mothers. And when I heard that, I knew immediately. And I said, Mama, mother, this was my mother. And I looked at the crying man standing there and, Daddy, yeah, that was my daddy.
my mother did a very, very great thing. After all she had been through, and after all we all, all of us had been through, she kind of renewed the covenant that God made with us, and we with him. This was a renewal of the covenant. This is one of the many stories of Holocaust that actually had a happy ending, where Leah was reunited with her parents. But ladies, this was such a horrific time. During this time, the Jews were sent to concentration camps. One of the most famous ones that we all hear about is the Auschwitz concentration camp. And then you have the ghettos that they were sent to. And one of the largest ghettos was in Poland called the Warsaw Ghetto. Well, we all know why it was the largest. Because remember, all the Jews were migrating to Poland. This was a very, very sad time in history. And then notice, in March 1st, 1953, just a bare eight years after the Holocaust, it took the lives of six million Jews. Joseph Stalin arose, and he unveiled a proposal to liquidate the Jews of the Soviet Union. It was called the Doctor's Plot. Now, it was told that there were some Jewish doctors who were trying to kill off Soviet leadership as they came in to see them. But ladies, this was all fabricated. There was no such plot. The proposal was due to go into effect on March 9th, but it never did. For the day after Stalin presented it, he unexpectedly dropped dead of a stroke. This horrific story has been officially confirmed by a non-Jewish Soviet librarian who worked for years in top-secret Soviet archives in Moscow. Ladies, God protected the Jews as Joseph Stalin dropped dead of a stroke. Down through the ages, we have seen the Jews suffer, haven't we? But we have also seen God's mighty hand preserving and protecting them. They are God's chosen people. But because of their choice of disobedience, they suffered the consequences. The Jews are dispersed. They are a people without a land because of their disobedience. And we see that Jerusalem is the most contested and sought-after city in all of history. Many nations and peoples have come against it. For instance, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Greeks. You have the Romans and the Byzantines, the Persians, the Arabs. You've got the Crusaders, the Turks, the British, and the Jordanians. However, the heart of the battle here is spiritual. God had declared that Jerusalem shall be his throne as we see in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 3 where it says, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. 
His word also has proclaimed that he will reign in Jerusalem forever. The fact is well known by Satan that even in the beginning Satan declared that he would sit on God's throne as we see in Isaiah 14 verse 13. Let's look at that. It says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. Well, ladies, in rebuking Satan, the Lord even mentioned that he had chose Jerusalem. Zechariah 3.2 says, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Ladies, this has to do with prophecy. And we will see how this plays out in the end times and the battles that will take place over this small piece of land. From 1917 to 1948, the British ruled Israel. Now this is an important part of history here. And this is where we start to see prophecy being fulfilled. Now there was a Jewish chemist named Dr. Wiseman who helped in World War I to create acetone out of maize which helped the British to create bombs. Well, the Brits wanted to do something in return for him because they were very appreciative of his help. He didn't ask anything for himself. But Dr. Wiseman requested that Palestine, which is Israel as we know it today, be made a home for his people, the Jews. When the British took over Israel, they sent the Belfar Declaration in the form of a letter, which was approved by leaders such as Woodrow Wilson. Now, the Belfour Declaration was named after Foreign Secretary Arthur James Belfour, which favored the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Well, the British, of course, over time, made promises to both the Arabs and the Jews. And it came to a point that they just could not keep the Belfour Declaration anymore. Plus, of course, World War II was looming over them too. And they didn't want to deal with Hitler and the Arabs. And so they sent what they call is the White Papers. Now the White Papers denounced the Belfour Declaration. And they did this just to appease the Arabs. Claiming that Palestine would be an Arab state. And limiting Jewish immigration and to what parts that the Jewish people could live in. So you had now about a 30% Jewish population. Oh, what a bitter betrayal of the Jewish people. And then November 29th, 1947, the UN proposed a mandate to partition Palestine. On the map, on the screen, you will see the red area that is what was partitioned for the Arabs, and the blue was for the Jews. Well, just prior to the British withdrawing from Israel, the Israeli Prime Minister, David Ben-Gurion, on May 14, 1948, declared Israel an independent state. Well, you see the person in the picture here of Ben-Gurion declaring Israel as an independent state. It is a picture of Theodore Herzl. 
It was in 1895, after anti-Semitic remarks in France, that it made Herzl hunger for the Jews to have their own nation. So that they didn't have to fear anti-Semitic remarks anymore. He started the Zionist movement, which supported the Jews having their own nation. Well, Ben-Gurion and Dr. Wiseman, the chemist, and Herzl here were all part of the Zionist movement. When Israel became an independent state, unfortunately, Herzl had already passed away. So he didn't have a chance to see his dream come to fruition. But his right-hand man was at Independence Hall at the time Ben-Gurion declared Israel a state. So he got to see their dream come to fruition. Well, you remember the Jewish chemist who helped the British in the war? Well, Dr. Wiseman, who requested the Palestine have the home for the Jews. He became the first president of Israel three days after the birth of the nation on May 17, 1948. Well, becoming an independent state was not without opposition from the Arab countries around them. In fact, while they were in signing the declaration, they had seven different Arab countries ready to attack. On May 15, 1948, Israel was attacked by Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and the Arab Liberation Army. This pitted some 45 million Arabs against 64,000 Jews. Ladies, they closed in from the north, from the south, and the east, while Israel's back was to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Arabs surrounded them totally. The Arab soldiers outnumbered the Jews 40 to 1 in population, 100 to 1 in equipment, and 1,000 to 1 in area, and 5,000 to 1. Now, just prior to the war, British Field Marshal Montgomery, well, he visited Palestine and sadly predicted, oh, he predicted, ladies, said it would take the Arabs eight days to drive the Jews into the sea. Now this land was awkward and difficult to protect, being long and narrow with only 600 miles of land frontier, all bordering the hostile Arab state. You understand, Israel is not that big. It takes approximately six hours to go from north to south. So that's like from here to Sonoma, California. It's not that far. The plan of the Allied Arab attack was simple. From the south, Egypt would send two 5,000 brigades to sweep up the Negev, one making for Tel Aviv and the other one for Jerusalem. And then from the north, you had the Lebanese, the Syrian, and the Iraqi armies. And they would smash through Galilee, sweep into Haifa, and head for Tel Aviv. And then from the east, you had Jordan, who would send 10,000 men to occupy the West Bank and capture the old city Jerusalem laid siege to the new city. 
Oh, ladies, against this massive and well-armed invasion, listen to what Israel had. Israel had but 10,000 rifles, each with only 50 rounds of ammunition. They had four ancient artillery pieces and 3,600 submachine guns. Oh, ladies, God was with Israel on this day. As you can see, they definitely were outnumbered. But yet this little, tiny state conquered seven Arab countries around them. They won the battle. The beginning of prophecy being fulfilled as the Jewish people had a home now to come home to. They call this Aliyah, which means the immigration of Jews to the land of Israel. We look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and look at verses 1 to 10. It shows God promised to restore His people when they turn to Him in repentance and submission. David Ben-Gurion, who was the Prime Minister, helped build the state institutions and oversaw the absorption of vast numbers of Jews from all over the world coming home to Israel. As we brought out, there are many passages. They talk about the restoration being assured. For instance, Jeremiah 23.8 says, As the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And then turn over to chapter 30 of Jeremiah and look at verse 11. It says, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. And then Ezekiel 39 says it all, as we look at verses 27 to 28. It says, When I have brought them back from the peoples and gathered them out of their enemies' lands, and I am hallowed in them in the sight of many nations, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who set them into captivity among the nations, but also brought them back to their land and left none of them captive any longer. Ladies, we have seen in our lifetime the beginning of the regathering of the Jewish people from all over the world. The Aliyah, and it will be brought to fulfillment as we will see at the second coming of Christ. Well, this did not stop, though, the Jewish people from being persecuted. As we have seen, there is not peace in the Middle East. They continue to fight for the rights of their homeland. For instance, in 1967, they had the Six-Day War, which was an amazing war. When the ceasefire came, Israel had gained the Gaza Strip, the whole of the Sinai Peninsula, all of Jordan's West Bank territory, including the old city of Jerusalem and the Golan Heights. The Arabs had been delivered a crippling blow, and the Soviet Russian 
Well, they received a major setback in the Middle East. Israel had now increased her territory from 8,000 square miles to 26,500. Ladies, we have seen two prophecies fulfilled in our lifetime. It's so exciting. That Israel became a nation and the Jewish people have regained Jerusalem, which they will need to rebuild their temple in the end times. It was so important to them to have that. And then in 1973, there was the Yom Kippur War which was the fourth by far biggest Middle East war that came to an end. Arab casualties exceeded 15,000 and there was only 4,000 Israelis that lost their lives. The raw power and the massive troop movements were simply staggering. In fact, before it ended, this would be the largest conventional war in terms of armored forces since the end of World War II in 1945. They were some 5,000 tanks alone were employed, more than Hitler used when he invaded Russia, and more than combined total owned by Britain and France in 1973. Now, over one million men fought in this war, of which 838,000 were Arabs pitted against 275,000 Jews. The foreign minister of Israel in his statement to the United Nations on October 8, 1973 said, Egypt attacked us with 3,000 tanks, 2,000 heavy guns, 1,000 aircraft, and 600,000 men. Oh, ladies, by any conventional measurement, the Yom Kippur War should have been the annihilation of the state of Israel. She was caught off guard and hopelessly outnumbered, both man and machine-wise. Indeed, for a while, it looked just that way. In fact, the Prime Minister of the time, Golda Meir, well, she would later confess, as she stated, for the first time in our 25 years of history, we thought we might have lost. Well, they only had like maybe seven battered tanks that stood in the way of the Syrians in the north. And less than 90 separated the Egyptians in the south. <laughs> but for some unexplained reason that we know, it was God intervening. But both enemies suddenly stopped their advances for 48 hours. Well, this gave the Israelis the time they needed to set up. On Friday, October 19th, the greatest tank war in the world of history was fought in the Sinai Desert. Thousands of these armored war machines slugged it out. And when the battle smoke cleared, Israel had won the battle. Another miracle of the Yom Kippur War was the unprecedented decision of Jordan's King Hussein to remain out of the fighting. Now, his country had taken part in the previous three attacks upon Israel. And there is no question but that his help would have assured an Arab 
victory. But God kept them out of the picture. Ladies, to this day, we continue to see the persecution of the Jewish people. In 1991, you had the Scud missiles from Saddam Hussein. In 2006, you see Hezbollah fighting against the Israelis. In 2008-2009, the time period that my husband and I were there in Jerusalem, we saw the Gaza war with Hamas. And then, of course, you have President of Iran, Ahmadinejad, who wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and continue attaining nuclear weapons to fight against them. In fact, when you go there, the Arab maps, they don't even have Israel listed on their map. In 2007, there was a suicide bombing in Elat, Israel. When we were there in 2008, it was less than a year after this suicide bombing, we had actually walked on the very streets of Elat. While we were in Elat, we also met an Ethiopian Jew. Well, she had come to Israel. And when we asked her why she had come, she didn't know. All she knew was she was meant to be there. Ladies, this is the drawing of many Jews that the Lord is placing in their hearts to come home to Israel. To this day, there is not peace in the Middle East. And yet, we see Jewish people coming home to Israel. As you can see, anti-Semitism is still very much alive in Israel. I'd like you to watch a video regarding modern day anti-Semitism. يقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تقوم الساعة Today, anti-Semitism has a new voice. Islam has long been an enemy of the Jews. But now, through the internet and multimedia, they have been able to spread their poisonous hate around the globe. Many of these Islamic organizations have two faces. One for the West, where they claim they want peace, and one for Islam, where they speak a hate-filled language calling down curses on the Jews and their allies. The first suicide bombing in Elat brought much fear and sorrow, and immediately was denounced by the Palestinian Authority. Ladies, this little, tiny country, surrounded by Arab nations who want to wipe them off the face of the earth. And yet God is protecting them to fulfill his unconditional covenant that he made. If you can see the map on the screen, this little tiny sliver of green, that is Israel and all of the Arab countries around it. And they all want to wipe them off the face of the earth. God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants, as we see in Genesis 17, 1 through 8. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 in particular. It says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant 
to be God to you and your descendants after you. And then in verse 8 it says, And also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Ladies, God has an ultimate plan and He will fulfill His promise just as we have seen throughout the ages. The Jewish people are God's chosen people and we will see the fulfillment of God's plan as we continue to explore the end time events. But one thing I want to express is through all this persecution through all the devastating times, the cursings. It was because of disobedience. Ladies, God does not like disobedience. And we will suffer the consequences of the disobedience. But our blessed hope is the fact that we can have blessings if we simply repent. Ladies, Israel just needed to repent and God said I will bless you and this saying goes for us if we're living in times where we are seeing a lot of persecution and we are living our lives away from God we need to repent and God says I will bless you we have packed a lot into these last two lessons But I assure you that next week we will begin dissecting the prophetic timeline. It's just like the book. You've got to start from the beginning. And in order to understand what these prophetic events mean, we needed to find out about the covenants, about the Jewish people, and how the persecution fits in how the judgment fits in and how God's ultimate plan will be fulfilled in the end time events. Next week is going to be an exciting class. It's going to be a time that we now start to dissect the prophetic timeline. And ladies, what I find really exciting and really interesting is the fact that we're going to look at a Jewish wedding and see how that is depicted in this prophetic timeline from the first coming of Christ until his second coming. Until then, God bless.